Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Once again, coming to you live from our glass-enclosed nerve center. Uh, I still don't know why you want to call it a glass-enclosed nerve center. Okay, h- how about Studio 2B? Okay, Studio 2B works. That's much better than glass-enclosed nerve center. How's that chair feeling for you? How are you enjoying that chair over there? Well, you know, you know that whole back and chair part. Would you rather that we move the end table next to the recliner, move the sheets off the recliner, possibly, <laughs> and move the end table next to the recliner so you could do that? Well, that would be. We great. could have brought it, you know. And I love how you bring this up after we start recording, not before recording. If, hey, maybe I might want a chair. No, let's wait till after we start recording, and go. Hey, maybe we should get a chair. I didn't say maybe we should get a chair. I was asking you how you would like your chair. It's awesome. <laughs> Plush and comfy. And has a back on it and everything. It does. <laughs> I'm just, you know, noting <laughs> who gets their needs met and who's sitting crisscross applesauce on the bed. Um, In the glass-enclosed non-nerve center around here. <laughs> Again, I gave you the option. No, you, you could have brought it up. Didn't, the cords aren't long enough to go there. Actually, well, the headphone cord is not, but the microphone cord is. Oh, so I could talk but not hear. Excellent. You know, there was a time not all that long ago that we did the podcast freestyle. Yeah, but we've greatly improved the sound quality of the podcast. Oh, well, we have. In the echo chamber of Studio One <coughs> A. No, we're not in One A. One A. One A is the Today Show. Oh, what is what is the standard studio? One B. Oh. One A is the Today Show. You know, we can't be in the same studio as the Today Show. They get picky about that. But we are in a different whole like region. Still. I'm sure there are Studio One A's all over the country. Could be. All I'm suggesting is that we have a first floor studio, and now we apparently have a second floor studio. See, that that's why it is 2B, because it's second floor, and it's a second studio. and 2B or not 2B? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That was a long way to go for that one. <laughs> you know, especially because normally we end a show on such a craptastic joke, so... <laughs> Hey, they only get better from here. God, we can only hope. Okay, so today, you know, there is an advantage to the new studio. I can actually see your computer with all the stories on it. Yeah, you, you can. You know, there we could have made that work other ways. You know, like I, the way we used it. Well, I was going to say the way we used to do it for the mail buoy where I actually like sent you the links, but you never looked at them anyway. So I don't know why I bothered with that. <laughs> But I could have done that. Well, you could have, but <clears throat> no, this works really well. Yeah. I mean, I can't read the smaller print, you know, like the main print, but I can read headlines this way. Anyway, so so th- then what is the headline then if you want to go that route? <laughs> so apparently Mercedes and F1 are standing <coughs> off as the Concord Agreement has yet to be signed and there's a deadline coming. Um. Yeah, it turns, and, and I did not know that there was a deadline for, well, I... I, I we knew there was a deadline. We didn't know what the deadline was, I should say. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously they, they want to have the Concord Agreement signed and in place before the start of next season since it's supposed to govern next season. But, no, actually there was a deadline, and I don't know if it's a self-imposed deadline or what, but uh, the deadline of August 12th was the target for all of the teams to have signed and all the negotiations to be done, and um, it sounds like there's one holdout. Mercedes. Yeah. That was kind of obvious from yeah. the headline. Do well, you have it, any idea what they're holding out for? Well, Toto, so so a couple of things are, are actually changing with this. Um, one of the big changes is around the revenue and the distribution of the revenue. Um, they are, um, it's going to be, it's supposed to be at least, more equitable uh, so that uh, the championship would be fairer and more sustainable as part of all of the talks. Um, that said, Ferrari still managed to keep their veto. Interesting. And they still managed to keep their preferential financial treatment that they have received. Oh. Um, now, what Toto has said about this so far, he says... We from Mercedes, we made very clear that we are happy with a more equitable split of the prize fund. The way success is rewarded and possible for everybody, we agree to. We are, I would say, the biggest victim in terms of prize fund loss and all of that. Ferrari has maintained an advantageous position. With Red Bull, it obviously balances out with AlphaTauri. So it, it's us that are hurt the most. I feel that Mercedes has contributed to the sport over the last years. We have a part of from being competitive on track, we have the driver that has clearly the most global appeal. We feel that whilst being in these negotiations, we weren't treated in the way we should have been. Therefore, there is a bunch of open topics for us that are legal, commercial, and sporting. In our point of view, I don't feel ready to sign a Concord Agreement. This is obviously, well, to me, this is language that I would have expected to have heard from Ferrari not from Mercedes. Not that I expected Mercedes to roll over. Well, <clears throat> I, but I think it's the language that has to be said. I mean, how else do you argue the Concord Agreement if it's not around this idea of Ferrari maintains an advantage position, but Ferrari's not performing, and they're still going to make more than we are, and we've been performing consistently. And this is the opportunity to right-size that. I mean, that's that's what he's trying to say, or at least I hope that's what he's trying to say. I, and, and, and I think that's some of it. And, and again, some of what has Mercedes upset is, um, and, and we don't know all of the details. The, 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 officially, the Concord Agreement is secret, so we will never know all of the details. But we do know, again, that Ferrari has maintained their veto. They have maintained their historical payments. Um, Mercedes has had historic payments in the past um, because of the championship. I'm assuming they're going to still get something. Well, didn't they get historic payments because they negotiated if they won the title three times? That was the Bernie deal? Yeah, and Bernie didn't really appreciate that. Yeah, and then they proceeded to win, like, the next seven. Yeah. Yeah, I... I get it. I mean, I'm hoping that this is just grandstanding, but keep in mind, Formula One has raced without a Concord Agreement in the past. So if the deadline is the 12th, there's still an opportunity to 
either sign it or continue to race without it. It's it's probably not the end of the world. Now, he Toto's been pressed a little more on, um, you know, give some idea, at least to the, the media, how far away we are. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, it, does this look like it's going to happen? And Toto said that it depends on the other side. If you're willing to sit on the table, address the critical topics, discuss them, come to maybe compromise outcome, then I think it can go pretty fast. I haven't seen that approach. Interesting. Which, uh, I don't know. We don't think that this means that they're imminently about to pull out of the sport, um, just that they will slow down the commercial agreement. Right. So now, despite the apparent objections from Mercedes, um, Christian Horner says that uh, he thinks that everyone's going to sign. Oh, okay. So, you know, Christian, who has a crystal ball and can predict the future... Think bigger than your own team for a moment. Think about what's right for Formula One. And for the record, did you always do what was right for Formula One when you were dominating? Absolutely not. <laughs> you do what right, was right for your team. That's what I'm paid to do. Which is why you can't put the teams in that position. Well, remember, th- think bigger than your own team. Well, yes, but he wouldn't do it. Well, yeah, because th- he's not paid for that. Right. But think but which, everybody, which, all, all of you other people should think bigger than your own team. Which, you know, now that I mention it, but wasn't that audio from the last Concord Agreement negotiations? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> so Christian says that, that he believes that uh, all the teams are going to sign it and we're going to move forward. And this isn't that it, – it, it's not nearly what it looks like. Um, Toto Wolf has said that he believes that all the teams want additional polish on this. Um, and and to, to some extent he believes that, that he is – upholding the will of the rest of the the rest of the teams but and he says that the the, the teams have objections but they're not willing to speak up actually his, his language was a bit coarser um but in a nutshell he says the teams are not willing to speak up about their differences uh yeah i don't know okay so we don't often talk about financial results of the teams and, and what's going on. Uh, however, I did want to point out that this week we got word that Racing Point posted a loss of 116 million pounds in their first full year of racing in Formula One. However, even that number isn't fully accurate. Um, the true operating loss was actually around 25 million pounds. That 116 million pounds includes the acquisition cost of the team um, because and it's weird the way racing point works so every single team with the exception of racing point their fiscal year follows a calendar year okay racing points does not oh racing points is uh august to august it's an odd time to have your fiscal year because it's in the middle right. of the season right and, and I don't know why that is. That may be an artifact of, well, you know, given the history of this team, it, it could be something that Eddie Jordan was doing, too. Yeah. And no telling. I mean, it could have also been financial stylings of Vijay Malia. So who Either one. knows? Either one. Um, but that number included the acquisition cost of the team from the team going into administration and all of that turnover pieces. Um, which is why the number is as high as it is. That said, though, they still lost 25 million pounds. Oh. 
the other thing that that uh, that was revealed was that Lawrence Stroll paid 142 million pounds of the 200 million pounds of the capital that was put in to acquire the team. So Lawrence owned 71% of the organization. Oh, daddy's son's never going to lose his seat. Uh, Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. Yeah, this is not a minor shareholder here. (laughs) But that wasn't really the biggest racing point news. So we finally had the hearing about the Renault protests. Yes. Against the brake ducks. Um... And, you know, we were saying that this looked like it was going to be a fairly open and shut case. Either you did or you didn't. It was going to be fairly obvious. Well, apparently, to the stewards... We were wrong. Yeah. We were wrong because, one, they they said that they actually did copy the design. But, number two, when you actually read the ruling, it it's not fairly obvious what they and why and how and why they came down with the ruling the way they did. So the best commentator that I have read on this, and I, I wish I could give the right credit to the right person, but it was somebody, some comment somewhere, that said, leave it to F1 to make a murky situation even murkier. Yeah. And I think that sums this one up. So you try to demystify it for those of us who are still trying to look into the murky waters of the brake ducks. Yeah, I... It... I, I can't even fully do it myself. So what we know is one of the things that we found out is that Racing Point took delivery of a complete set of 2019 Mercedes brake ducks on January 6th. Okay. The brake duct as a part became a listed part on January 1st. Okay, that does sound like a problem. I wonder if it was a shipping issue. Kind of. So what racing point says happened and what was done and what was provided is these were intended to be spares because they didn't know if they'd be able to produce the parts that they needed for winter testing okay and that they didn't actually run these brake ducts that were provided to them okay but that's problem number one is that a set of listed parts were developed were delivered to racing point six days after they became listed parts so problem number one there um what the actual statement was because maybe that'll help um since the rp20 rear brake ducts were not run on the rp19 in 2019 and since the stewards believe that the design effort expended by racing point in adapting the rear brake ducts originally designed by mercedes for the w10 pales in comparison to the significance of the original Mercedes work. The stewards conclude that the principal designer of the RP20 rear brake ducts was Mercedes, not Racing Point. So in a nutshell, they said that, well, yeah, the brake ducts were modified and and are not an exact copy, one-for-one copy of the design from Mercedes. They didn't differ enough for them to consider to be considered an original piece of work. Oh, okay. So I don't they, obviously they didn't use their thesaurus hard enough to unplagiarize the brake ducks. Something like that. Um, the FIA said that uh, by making use of the, the Mercedes design, 
the team gained a competitive advantage by being able to devote design resources to other areas of the car. So in light of this, um, and this is where the FIA tried to, to thread a needle here. And there, there's a lot of needles that they, they tried to thread. Um, the stewards acknowledge that since the rear brake ducts are compliant with the 2020 FIA F1 technical regulations. So this is a sporting rec- violation for using the ducts. Mm-hmm. But they do say that the rear brake ducts are compliant with the technical regulations. It is not realistic to expect Racing Point to redesign or re-engineer the brake ducts in a way that would effectively require them to unlearn what they already know. Therefore, the penalty imposed is intended to penalize the potential advantage Racing Point may have accrued in the brake duct design process, which resulted in the use of listed parts which were not designed by it. So what the penalty was that was given to them, if you have not heard, they lost 15 points specifically for the Styrian Grand Prix. Not for any other race, but they lost 15 points for the Styrian Grand Prix, and they got a 400,000 euro fine. But the way that's written sounds like since they cannot unlearn what they already have learned and thus would be allowed to continue to run the verboten air ducts, that this is the fi- this is the penalty that is and we're done we're done with this at 15 points 400,000 euros and we're done but then they came along and gave them reprimands for the the races after that correct so they've already been issued and i believe there may have been another protest lodged because the brake ducts have not been changed and they've been issued a reprimand for continuing to run the brake ducts what that means we don't know but here's the problem and and, well one of the problems and we're going to probably loop back to this later on so if they turned around if the fia turned around and said and actually i believe it was the stewards who made the ruling Mm -hmm. um, because it's not the fia that actually does it but they may get guidance from the fia if the stewards turned around and ruled that the entire car was illegal and pushed it as um, a violation of the technical regulations and disqualified the car, they probably would have killed Racing Point as a team. Correct. Because think about it. If the the entire car is disqualified for what they've done, they can't build a new car before the end of this bizarre season that we've got going right now. But not only that, but remember, car development is essentially frozen through 2021. Correct. Which means they would not have a legal car, not just for the rest of this season, but for 2021 as well. Or they would have had to design a car that was just for one season. Which I know teams have done. I mean... In theory, Mercedes kind of did that for this year, but they reused a lot from last year's car too. But if Racing Point was about to have a car that was going to be illegal for the next 18 months, it would have killed the team. Well, and I don't think that's the spirit of the the ruling. Honestly, what I heard in the ruling itself was 
we're trying to mitigate any advantage. It's not right. a, a violation of the technical regulations. It's a sporting regulation issue here. But we're trying to mitigate the advantage, but they can't go back and redesign a brake duct uh, effectively unlearning what they already learned. I mean, that you can't do that. Well, yeah, but... but so, so the question that everybody has is... And, and, and that's where I go back to you can't make the, the whole car illegal, is they're running this illegal part, in theory. Mm-hmm. How do you change the design of a brake duct sufficiently enough to meet whatever imaginary standard we're talking about? And we, especially when we all know that the real reason that this car w- was... The, the, the protest was lodged against this car, the brake duct was the only thing that they could easily find and say that well you know yeah you could take a picture of it and and reverse engineer based on those pictures this wasn't the case and i think the other piece of this is that it if the teams were aware that racing point was buying brake ducts from mercedes prior to them being listed parts right it was it was it was an easy chip shot test drive i mean yeah they if they knew it was a low risk protest at that point right if they knew that the brake ducts were being bought before the likelihood that at the very least they would have used the the design of the brake ducts they had i mean like Mm -hmm. you go to the car that you just bought it off of and Mm -hmm. say oh look there's a brake duct i mean i can tell you how you can fundamentally change the design so that it passes the imaginary standard flames fire and lots of it <laughs> well no add bitch and flames and you're done got it. <laughs> yeah that's all you gotta There's do flames on the inside of the brake duct it exactly must be, it must be legal it must be legal <laughs> uh, i don't know um you know by definition it sounds like a, i mean a duct i mean like how much could be in there but apparently enough that may i think honestly i think that you have the right concept is it was low-hanging fruit to make the protest because they really couldn't make the protest on <coughs> we styled the front wing directly off of the mercedes 19 car yeah but they did and we know that and i mean murray walker said to, well not murray walker whoa did i use the wrong name martin brando <laughs> <laughs> said today it's in the very dna of motorsports yeah and well, not just for, motorsport but in formula, formula one, one. And this was the today Sunday mm-hmm. was the seventieth anniversary of the first F one race at Silverstone. Well, I don't know if today was was actually the the seventieth anniversary. It was just the, the race they held for, to commemorate no, the seventieth. The seventieth. 70, it was in May. That was it was there a May race, but it was the seventieth year. It's the commemoration. Whatever. Let's get crazy because it's twenty twenty and we have murder hornets. So you know nothing works right. All I'm saying is one of the things that they talked about were the top cars on that race were all customer cars. They went out to the the shop and they bought them probably. Well, they weren't all customer cars, but but there was a, a period of time, 50s, 60s, and 70s, that there were a lot of customer cars that were being run. I mean, again, that's how Frank Williams got started was... He was buying somebody else's car, refurbing them, and, and selling it back, back to, to the, them. Yeah, the, okay. the, the, but mm. didn't Sterling <laughs> win in like almost exclusively customer cars? 
I, I think his first two were customer cars. I, I think the Lotus he, was actually a works car, was actually a Colin Chapman. He was driving for Colin Chapman. But I think the first two were customer cars. All right. I mean, so this is part of the DNA. So copying, I get that everybody wants to get all up in arms about it. But honestly, I, I, I have a really hard time. And as much as I want to, I should preface this. I want to condemn the pink Mercedes team. I really do. But I can't for this one. I can condemn them for daddy's little boy getting a, a team. <laughs> There's plenty of reasons to hate this team. <laughs> but taking out their tracing paper and copying a, a winning design and putting their own tweak on it, I can't, I can't do that. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny you mentioned the, the tracing paper because that was, uh, I think it was Otmar's comment one of the things was that they were frustrated and confused. Yeah. Otmar says that uh, he felt like they were comparing uh, what they did to using tracing paper. So it, it's funny you mention that. Now, to, to, to and I was going to talk about this later, but I'll, I'll pull it forward now. Um, Nicholas Tombasis, who's the, the FIA's head of single-seater matters, uh, does say that uh, motor racing's governing body and the commercial rights holders for Formula One have agreed that allowing teams to per pursue um, copying to the level that Racing Point has done um, is not a good move. Mm. Um, what they're and, and again, this is where I, I, I don't know how they're going to pull this off without killing Racing Point. Um, but they're looking to make amendments to the 2021 regulations that will limit just how much one team will be able to copy from another. And again, I don't know how they can do this. And even Nicholas says, you know, we do plan with very short notice to introduce some amendments to the 2021 sporting regu regulations that will prevent this becoming the norm. This will pre prevent teams from using extensive part of photos to copy whole portions of other cars in the way that Racing Point is done. We will still accept individual components to be copied in local areas, but we don't want the whole car to be fundamentally a copy of another car. Now, he won't elaborate on what's being planned, but he said, well, oh, he does say that um, any changes would not force Racing Point to abandon its current Mercedes influence design. So that's how they're going to avoid killing Racing Point. Okay, so let's just follow that for a second. <clears throat> mm -hmm. What he's talking about is what they're going to do is prevent a, a prevent red bull from from making the next mercedes yeah blue and red mercedes that's fine so what you're gonna wind up with is alfa romeo making a franking car they're gonna mm -hmm. take the front wing from mercedes and they're gonna take the air ducts from red bull and they're gonna take i don't know the rear wing from ferrari and make franken car and you're going to say that that's somehow a better way of handling it? Because they wouldn't have picked it from a single car, so therefore it'll be okay. That's the kind of let's push the rules to the edge logic that we're working with here. Well, you know, let's look at it the other direction. And and um, this was almost borne out this weekend. Almost. Mm -hmm. In that, actually, I think I know why it wasn't born. 
and, and it wasn't for why I thought. So let's look at qualifying Okay. this weekend and having, and, and let's be clear. I think Sergio Perez is, is a good driver. I don't think he's a great driver, but he's a good driver. But having another good driver in the racing point, in a car that played, or at a track that played to the strengths of that car. Because mm-hmm. that was the other piece of it. Nico Hulkenberg put that car into uh, third. P3, yeah. And Stroll was what, P5 or P6? Yeah. The way this should have worked is you had a team that, that basically copied a successful design and it potentially, it had the potential for a three-way, two to three-way fight at the front of the grid. Yeah. And even still, it was looking like we were going to end up with, even if the, the two Mercedes ran away, we, we, it was looking like we were going to have a pretty good fight between the racing points the Renault of Daniel Ricardo, because Ocon isn't there yet, and Max and the Red Bull of Max Verstappen. That would have been a fantastic showdown. Yeah. Now I think where it all fell apart, and and the reason why it fell apart, and again I'm I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I think the reason why it fell apart is kind of the same problem that we've been seeing with the Mercedes for quite a while. And that design was no exception. When it's hot, when the track conditions are hot, the Mercedes has traditionally struggled. Mm -hmm. So we had hot conditions in last year's design, which was particularly bad when it came to cooling. Struggled. And that you saw that. Mm -hmm. And that's, okay, back to my, my whole soapbox about, guys, this is not the hill you want to die on. Mm Mm-hmm. Is if you take the risk to do a copycat car like this, you accept their success and their and their weaknesses. And what Racing Point proved out was they accepted the heat, uh, the heat fluctuations of the nineteen Mercedes, which you can see in the twenty Mercedes. Mercedes, like they're better. They're better, but they're not perfect. But they still have issues, but they don't have as much issues. And you saw that the Racing Points had more issues with the heat. That said, I in an ideal situation, and one of the things that would help level the playing field between the haves and have lessers, because um, we really don't have a have-nots. I mean, there's... Yeah, there's, it's Formula One. Let's, yeah. let's be clear. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's be honest that there's not a have has gone. It's... <laughs> I was thinking caterum. Yeah, them too. Uh, um, but the have lessers, one of the things that they can do to level that playing field is allow this the copying and say, copy but improve. So look at the Mercedes and say, hey, that's a great design, but I see, like, so I don't have to put the money into that part, but let me, you know, let me tweak this other thing. Maybe I can solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And copy but improve standpoint would be where I'd say that's a hill you're willing is worth dying on. Going after them for taking the first step of saying we need to shorten our development cycle and we're going to do it by taking a success. 
I'm sorry, well, but that's every sport out there. You look at your competitor that's beating you and go, what is that guy doing I'm not doing? And I go do that. Well, here, here's the thing. What were they expecting to happen if they had gone with this open source part thing? What, what were they expecting to happen? Let me grab every single one of those parts that, that they've put they, that, that's been shared that anyone's had any success with and slap them on my car. Franken car. That's, that's essentially what Racing Point did, except instead of listing it on the website, they took pictures. So, okay, we love the idea of you're going to do these experiments and see what works and you want to change qualifying, you want to do this. You threw out there that one of the things that could, quote, fix F1 is the open source plan, and now you don't like it because mm-hmm. somebody actually did it. Yeah. F1, this is why you screw up. Well, now, it's the, we want you to innovate, we want you to innovate, and then we kill it. Don't innovate. Yeah, let me kill it when you do. We want to make it better, change nothing. Don't don't innovate, innovate too well. Yeah. No no fan cars, no six-world heroes, <laughs> <laughs> no double diffusers, <clears throat> no copying. So, Mercedes side because obviously there there's questions about what's going on there as well we know that that mercedes provided racing point with cad data on the brake duct designs of the w10 in 2019 but that was legal mm-hmm. they were allowed to do that listed part um we know also about like we mentioned the brake ducts that were turned over on january 6th after they became listed parts so Toto has said that the team feels 100% comf- comfortable with their position. They've read the rules over and over again. The verdict that came out is extremely complicated and comes up with an interpretation that is new to all of us. We provided certain data in 2019, which was totally within the rules. The January 6th delivery of ducks has no material effect on any of the action because the whole thing was delivered much earlier and all the CAD drawings and designs were delivered much earlier. And Racing Point and ourselves are still of the opinion that it's within the regulations. I see some benefits, he said. I think we have a team that is competing amongst the front-running teams now. That was very much the aim. And on the other side, it provides a great source of income for us as a big team. We're able to monetize some of the technologies that otherwise wouldn't be monetized. I think it's a win-win situation. I respect the opinion of the other side, that cars shouldn't look like some other cars. Now, none of the regulations prohibit that. This special situation arose because of a non-listed part became a listed part. So while it was a non-listed part, things were supplied. But we can have that legal discussion endlessly, but at the end, to be honest, there is zero worry on our side. And when I say zero, I mean zero, that we were in any breach. Nor do I think that Racing Point was in breach. And I believe that it will go to the International Court of Appeal. It would probably be a complex matter because it's technical, but I doubt there would be any outcome. So, yeah, I, um, like I said, Otmar Safnauer, he's said that they have 888 drawings for these brake ducts. And if you, you look at the regulations, the regulations say it's got to be your design. They designed the whole thing themselves. The stewards are saying yes, but the start of your design was looking at a Mercedes brake duct and starting with it. But you have to remember in 2019, they were listed parts. They were not listed parts. They were not listed parts. Thank you. You've got to ask yourself, if we started with a Mercedes design and then designed it ourselves, where did Haas start with their brake ducts? And where did Toro Rosso start with their brake ducts? 
Once you start, once you learn something on a non-listed part in 2019, or for our case, really in 2018, 2018 is where we got the information. It was legal, and you can't unlearn that. Otmar said that? Otmar said that. Okay. Um, so Ross Braun, in the FAA press conference, said, I think it, that it... it I think that is confusing for the fans how something that is not legal in Austria is still on the car. This is his comments to the ruling. And this gets back to some of our, of the the reprimand that came out. Uh, Zach Brown saying, I think that it is confusing for the fans how something that is not legal in Austria is still on the car. Around this whole copying, obviously they claim that they copied the car via photography. It's clear from reading the document that is BS, and therefore you have to question anything else around the car. Um, Otmar was asked for a response here, and he said, so Zach Brown, it is BS because he's not an engineer. He's got no idea what he's talking about, zero. <laughs> and I'm not surprised at how little he knows about the rules of F1. It seems to me he knows more about historic racing than he does about F1. Ouch. Yeah. So five teams have already appealed this. So okay, obviously but one of them was Racing Point. I was going to say, obviously Racing Point is one of them. Racing Point does not agree with this. And if you listen to the, the pre-race buildup, we got the, the statement from Lawrence Stroll, who obviously was upset over mm-hmm. this whole thing. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll slam our DVR in a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> hey, but we do need to do a shout out to listener Phil, who pointed us in the direction to get the pre-race coverage. Yeah, we finally got that. Now the the latest thing that that our our DVR did was it started recording. Actually, it did this for for both the pre-race coverage and for the race. It started recording, and it apparently decided that the pre-race coverage was seventeen hours long. <laughs> <laughs> so it was still recording at five o'clock this afternoon the pre-race coverage and it decided that the race coverage was 18 hours long that also was still recording at five o'clock we, we, we stopped both of those we don't i don't know why that is the most espn that we have ever recorded <laughs> in our entire lives yeah probably combined but anyway five teams ha- have appealed the decision obviously one is racing point they don't agree with this um but also who have appealed um probably not a surprise that that reno did um mclaren based on zach brown's comments williams and ferrari interesting ferrari's probably the only one that i was a little surprised by not much Hmm. but a little surprised by so and and you know, my, my issue with, with Lawrence's statement, if you, if you saw Lawrence's statement, is what we have seen from Lawrence, what, what has actually been done, what the strategy was with this car, is exactly what Lawrence wanted to do. Right. Th- this is 100% Lawrence Stroll. And, and again, explains part of the reason why Williams is part of this appeal, because Williams doesn't like Lawrence. Remember, Lawrence tried to push Williams when Lance was still on the team. Lance's last year with the team, and they were struggling because they had the crap car. Lawrence was trying to push them to essentially, was trying to push Williams to essentially do this. 
Well, he really sparked on the Haas model. Buy everything you can possibly buy from, he wanted it from Mercedes, obviously. Um, buy everything you can buy. And steal the rest. Essentially. Mm-hmm. That, that's what he put, he was pushing Williams to do. And that's what caused the split between the Strolls and Williams. Because, well, that and the, the poor car. But Williams turned around and said, we don't care what Lawrence is saying. This is not what Williams does. This is not how we operate. That is against the, the, the DNA of this team and of this family. And it's not the route that we want to go. And they slammed the door on Lawrence in the process. Right. And Lawrence said, well, okay, I'll take my checkbook and get my own team. <laughs> exactly. And he went and did this. And now there's backlash. So, yeah. But we've got five teams who, who are um, right now appealing this decision. So the way it worked is, I guess you have, when, and it's weird the way these rules happen. So you normally get an hour after the, after the decision is released from the stewards to appeal. Mm -hmm. Because of how complicated and how technical this ruling was, they actually gave everybody 24 hours. In that 24 hours, that's basically the time you get, or it normally would have been an hour, to file your notice of intent to appeal. Correct. Once you file your notice of intent to appeal, you now have another 96 hours to decide whether or not you're actually going to appeal. So we're still apparently in that 96-hour window where everybody has to decide if they're actually going to appeal. But they've at least filed their intent to appeal. We're gonna appeal, maybe. Yeah, kind of. And like you mentioned, they've already been reprimanded for using the same brake ducts at the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. Well, and I think that's where they... I think, honestly, I think that's where the stewards or the FIA needs to come in and go, guys, everybody take your corners. They're going to continue to run the brake ducts they've got. All, No more of this. You, mm -hmm. you know, We're not going to have this ongoing thing. You get one shot at complaining about it. And a penalty, move on. And, and this is where, again, I think... Formula One and the FIA are, are struggling to balance between the desire to pull the copycat car off of the track mm -hmm. and to rule it illegal and yet not kill Racing Point. Exactly. And I think that's where they're trying to thread a needle to try and figure out something that's going to work here. Right. All right. I have to tell you. I'm done talking about brake ducks. We are. Excellent, because I know what the next story is, and I'm actually really excited about this one. So, And it has nothing to do with the really bad picture of Fernando Alonso. I know, on it's the a cover. terrible picture. Um, anyway, as you will recall, and, and we didn't talk about it last week, but it was certainly big news, and we definitely would have spoken about it if somebody hadn't gone away to Indiana for, you know. I was in the middle of nowhere. I didn't anyway. even have cell coverage where I was. Indiana is like nothing in Indianapolis. There is nothing in Indiana. Chicago suburbs. I'm pretty sure Illinois should just annex that part. And we could fold the map and get rid of the rest of Indiana. It, it, except they don't want Gary. 
Nobody wants Gary. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> Gary, Indiana is not a great place. Anyway, <laughs> um, what we would have spoken about was um, Sergio Perez testing positive for COVID-19. Um, apparently, folks were are, are really upset with how uh, Racing Point has handled this situation. Well, there's a weirdness with it, and I don't know how much you, maybe you know all of the details here, but the UK has changed the quarantine rules in well, the middle of it. Even before that. Okay. So, again, drivers going home, Sergio Perez and his cluster, his bubble of folks went back to Mexico City between the Styrian Grand Prix and the British Grand Prix. And Mexico City and Mexico is somewhere where cases are surging. Okay. It is not clear how he traveled, if he traveled commercial or if they were on private flights, how he traveled. Our assumption is that Sergio did not go partying with his buddies in downtown Mexico City. Okay. However, he clearly traversed some public spaces that exposed him. Initially, the announcement that the test was inconclusive, and then people found out that he went back to Mexico City, and they're like, really? Um, but second test came back that he was positive, where he's gone into quarantine with his small crowd. Shockingly, we haven't heard about further positive tests with the rest of the team. Well, But we know they get tested regularly. They get tested quite a bit. In fact, I think some of them are down to self-administering their tests. Yeah. Um, so part of this fun with Sergio is that the day he tested positive, mm-hmm. the UK's rule was seven days quarantine with no symptoms. Right. Because he has no symptoms. Let's right. Let's be very clear. He tested positive. It was a seven-day quarantine. Two days later... The UK changed their quarantine rules to a 10-day quarantine. So this is all mm-hmm. great history because Nico Hulkenberg came in and was supposed to drive for Racing Point for the British Grand Prix. But then there was a big question as to whether or not he was going to drive for Racing Point or would Sergio drive. Because if they had used the seven-day that they were originally arguing... And that Racing Point wanted. Wanted. Sergio would have driven for them, but the 10-day prevented him from participating in, I believe it was qualifying or free practice. He, he could not. It was like, it was outside he, the 10. He, he would have, he would have, his last day in quarantine would have been Friday. He could have been in the car Saturday morning. Right. But then he would not <clears throat> have been able to participate in free practice one or two. So right. that's what they were arguing. Um, so Nico Hulkenberg road uh, drove for racing point again now we have this big question on our hands of who's eligible to be a reserve driver yeah and as you'll recall when we first started looking at the reserve driver route we had found out that esteban gutierrez was named as the reserve driver along with stoffel van dorn for mercedes um, and Racing Point got first dibs on, of all the customer teams, Racing Point got first dibs on Esteban Services. But apparently everybody forgot that the rules around super licenses changed it this year. <laughs> everybody forgot. And there is now a scramble. So according to the International Sporting Code, it now says that any driver who has not raced for three full seasons 
has to complete 300 kilometers of testing within 180 days of the license application. In other words, as of now, any driver who has not raced in F1 since 2016 and has not tested since February of this year cannot have a valid super license. Esteban well, Gutierrez has been out of F1 for three years now. Okay, so he has an invalid super license. And Mercedes declared that they were not going to get him the track time to earn said super license. Okay. So... so Who's eligible? Um, well, I was going to say, who else is now no longer eligible? Okay, so start there. Gutierrez last completed a race with Haas in 2016, um, which means also Nico Rosberg, no longer eligible. See, this is why I was going this way. Nico Rosberg, no longer eligible for a super license. Um, and I think there was a, a short stretch where he was a reserve driver. I think like the first year of his retirement, he was a reserve driver for Mercedes. Uh, but Nico Rosberg, Felipe Nasser, and Rio Harianto. Remember him? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, the other person who um, has now run afoul of this rule is long time, very long time, like since 2011, named Red Bull reserve driver Sebastian Buemi. Oh. He hasn't run, he hasn't driven an F1 since 2011. He is now ineligible for a super license. Okay. Yeah. So, outside of the up-and-coming drivers that, that we know about, you know, obviously we have Nico Hulkenberg who stepped in. Who's left who could possibly step in? So, first up, we have Jensen Button. Okay. His last race was Monaco in 2017. Okay, so he's getting close. He's getting close. Uh, Paul DiResta. Last race was also 2017, but the Hungarian Grand Prix. Paul DeResta has been named uh, this from this weekend as the reserve driver for McLaren. Right. In case something happens. Which I think is a reasonable... <laughs> now it is. Yeah. He got seat. He got fitted for a seat, too. He did. I think uh, the, the speculation from the Five Live people were... <clears throat> that one of the reasons they picked Paul was because he's already at the track. Uh, possibly. Quite possibly. I mean, We already know you're going to be there. We don't have to pay your travel. It, it does kind of make me wonder um, if they approach Jensen first. Interesting. Especially given Jensen's history with the team. But, okay. so Jensen, last race 2017 Monaco, Paul DiResta, Hungarian Grand Prix 2017, Jolian Palmer, his last race, the 2017 Japanese Grand Prix. Oh, that was his last race? It was. Um, he was dropped by the team with four races left in the season. Oh, okay. I forgot about that. Yeah. So Jolian Palmer, last race, 2017 Japanese Grand Prix. Pascal Verline, last race was the 2017 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. However... He is also a driver for the Mahindra Formula E team, which meant this weekend he was unavailable because of the Berlin E-Prix at Tempelhof Airport. Right, and there was another one that was not a... Stoffel Van Dorn. The Flying Waffle. Yes, whose last race was the 2018 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Um, Sergei Sorotkin, also last race, the 2018 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And uh, Fernando, last race, 2018 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Brendan Hartley, mm -hmm. uh, 2018 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Marcus Erickson, 
Uh, and actually, and uh, Robert Kubica is the last one hit with his last race of the 2019 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And so, Robert's still getting seat time. So that's, I mean, basically we have a whole lot of people that got purged in 2017. Mm-hmm. And Fernando and Kubica. Mm-hmm. And that's all that are eligible to be reserve drivers because of the super license requirement. Right. Whoa. Well, you, you have some of the junior drivers. Okay. All right. So, yeah, we didn't talk about the fact that we got junior drivers. These are past Formula One drivers. Well, at least Nico uh, Hulkenberg has reset his clock. Nico's reset his clock. You know, Robert Kubica is getting some free practice one time for uh, Alfa Romeo. Okay. So he's going to maintain his eligibility for a little bit as well. Well... Yeah. Oh, wow. It's an interesting rule change. But. Yeah. And it it makes some sense. Yeah. I mean, you don't want a Sebastian Buemi who has not been in a car for nine years. Well, well, that's the thing. If you think about it, Sebast- Sebastian Buemi last drove a Formula One car, I believe, when they were still running V8 engines. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, this weekend's race, the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, not nearly as exciting as the ending of the British Grand Prix. Okay, can we just finally declare that Lewis Hamilton is the greatest driver known to man? He won a race <laughs> on three tires. Um, I wouldn't go with greatest driver known to man. I, I'm, I'm okay with the greatest modern F1 driver. Okay. I mean, we have had drivers limp cars back into, you know, and win races in bits and pieces. Three wheels over the line. It was it, it, it was a very impressive drive, especially considering he was on three wheels. And I think it was, was it Wellington or was it one of the straights that he was doing on three wheels over 200 kilometers an hour? Yeah. <laughs> Through one of the speed traps last weekend, he was doing 200 kilometers an hour. You know, I listened to an interview with him after that. It was like a couple of days, I think. And he said that it took him, it took a while for that to even set in what he, what he did. Mm-hmm. It's like you get out of the car and you look and you say, whoa, that, that, that tire did not look good. Um, but sitting, you know, realizing what all could have gone wrong um, hit him a couple of days later. But he said that he didn't know how deflated it was. Yeah. And that's the part. Well, nobody realized how bad that tire was until he got into uh, the pit lane and you could actually see the entire carcass had separated. Right. But he he said at some point he didn't even know, like he didn't notice until he hit one of those corners and he's like, I just couldn't get the car to go where I wanted it to go. <laughs> I was like, and he was so calm about it. He was like, eh, it was still going. I was still moving fast enough. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Be- between the, the two notable things, I think, from that, from the British Grand Prix, as opposed to the 70th anniversary Grand Prix, one was the ending because the, the rest of the race was kind of dull. And the other thing that, that got a call out, and I, I, not even clear that this was Sky Sports. It may have been Formula One. 
the piece that was done to commemorate the fans and the fact that they were not at the race to Elton John's um oh, what is the name of that song I know the words to it it's not how wonderful life is that you're in the world but that's no um You you asked me, and now I can't tell you. But that piece was fantastic. Probably one of the best retrospective promo pieces since, like, Eddie Jordan's work on the BBC. Because he used to do some great retrospective pieces. You see, I have to disagree with you. Really? You, I mean, you stopped it. You made me watch it. I mean, like, I watched the race after you had seen it because I finally came home from the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you made me watch it. And I thought, I didn't think the song made a whole lot of sense um, for what it was supposed to be. It wasn't a, you know, I'm sad we can't be together and I'll see you next year kind of a feeling. It was... More of the, I really wish I could remember what the name of the song was, but it was more of the, it was great, and now I'm sad you're gone kind of song. So it was a little bit more of a lament. Well, it and, was a bit of a lament, but. But there wasn't, like, there wasn't the, that, that hope piece of it of, you know, we'll be together next year until okay. the very end. But you thought it was so fantastic, and I, I kept thought going. I it was really good. I kept going. Okay, I, I thought it was better than the piece this week with, with Captain Tom. Okay. It was okay with Captain Tom, but it... Okay. Um, yeah, I don't... I don't know. I mean, they also did a, a little bit more of the Sir Sterling and yeah. introducing the race to perfection, which I think will be a very good and interesting If we piece. actually get it. Oh, we'll figure out how we get it. But Sky's harder to get video from. We'll figure it out. <laughs> There's there are ways. Um but there and there were heavy promoting that. Yeah. Um although I have to tell you I did love watching Jensen and Martin Brundle and the other guy walking the uh the track and talking about the curves and the, and the other grass. Guy, that was Paul DeResta. That was Paul DeResta. <laughs> the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and while we're talking about Jensen for a second, um, he's apparently buying his pants from the same place DC buys his <laughs> pants. Of course you had to go there. Did you see his pants? You had to go there. Come on. <laughs> Seriously. That's why they won't put him back in a car right now. They don't trust his pant choice. Wow. All right. Anyway, so Nico Hulkenberg, back to Nico, and we're going to talk about Racing Point one last time because one of the things that was a bit confusing was that late, late pit stop mm-hmm. that Nico took. I mean, he was what, fifth? And uh, yeah, he, he was fifth place, and they pulled him in towards the end of that race. Apparently, um, he started feeling a vibration. Sound familiar? Oh. And as a result of that, they pulled him in to, because they did not think the tires were going to last to the end of the race at that point. Okay. So that's why he, but that took him out of a, a top five finish. Oh, poor guy. Yeah. 
I mean, they were talking about wouldn't it be awesome for him to get a podium because it's the one thing he's never it had. It would have been. It's the one thing that boy's never had. It would have been. Um, this may not be the last that we see of Nico. Okay. So he has confirmed. He has not said who, but he is confirmed that he is in active talks with another team for a ride for the 2021 season. Ooh. Honestly, there's really only two teams. Well, I, I, he's he's not. I, I don't think Williams is going to hire him. And let, he and doesn't bring if, the money. And I don't know if he would want to go to Williams. I think he's driven for Williams. Okay. I don't remember. I'd have to go look that up. I think he's driven for Williams, and I think he's one of the ones that um, Williams did not sit well with him. Oh. There's there's some Mark Weber's another one that that Williams does not. It was not a good experience their time there. Um. My theory, I don't think it's Alfa Romeo. I think it's Haas. Well, we had talked about that Haas would really benefit from him, but he and K-Mag do not get along. That's the, so that's they, the question. We know Grosjean's got one foot out of the elephant door. Um, <laughs> but what... Unless... In, in, in you'd have to get rid of K-Mag. Unless they've made up. Oh, seriously. But I you, you again think, that first tangle that happens, oh, that's gonna be nasty. You think Gunther's got, you know, <clears throat> marital counseling going on? <laughs> seriously. Now, wait a minute. You want to talk about a rumor mill. Okay. What about this? Haas ditch both K Mag and Grosjean. Which is possible. And wait for it. Hulkenberg and Vettel. <laughs> could be in so I, I think it's possible as much as you know it, it's been clear that Haas has been happier with Kevin mm-hmm. at the last couple of years than Roman um I think it's possible from what we've seen out of Kevin that they might be just as willing to jettison him well yeah but think about it they could already be talking to Vettel because they're jettisoning Grosjean and so one of the things that has been sparked that has sparked conversation around the paddock mm. was or and, and I don't have the story up in our lineup, but uh, earlier this week, Sebastian Vettel was spotted riding with I believe it was Otmar. Um, and, and Sebastian admitted, I guess they stopped for gas at some point, and, and Sebastian had admitted that he caught a ride with, with Otmar because Otmar had a new Ferrari and he wanted to see the Ferrari. And, and so Otmar gave him a ride to wherever they were going. And it's a really nice Ferrari. And mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Now, of course, the commentator group is all talking about whether or not Vettel's lost his drive. That that is has been a topic of conversation of whether or not he's he's lost something or that he just doesn't have confidence in the car, and and that can be an issue in its own right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, we did see today that that spin, and that is Vettel when Vettel's at his worst he when we see him make more mistakes now admittedly this has not been a great two weeks for him 
Um, there's been significant mechanical problems last weekend going into the weekend, so he lost a lot of running. Uh, Friday, I think it was in free practice two. Yeah, free practice two on Friday, um, his car suffered a significant engine failure um, to the point that, like, broke the floor and fluids dripping out from the bottom of the car. They red flagged the session and did not restart it um, because of the damage that was done that this engine failure had. Ferrari actually replaced the engine in both cars as a precaution because of that engine failure. Well, I mean... Leaking fluids is always a non-starter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Seb's race. Yeah. Not impressive. Well, it was an impressive spin for no reason. So Seb said that the whole strategy was was bad. What part of the strategy was the first lap spin? No, what he said. You keep going back to that. Uh-huh. We're not there yet. Uh-huh. Um, Seb said that we spoke this morning that there's no point pitting knowing that we will run into traffic, and it's exactly what we did. We also went on a hard tire, which we then only had on for roughly 10 laps, probably not even that, so it didn't make any sense. I mean, why would you put the hard for 10 laps and then put the medium for 20 laps? I was running out of tires towards the end, so we spoke about exactly that. I guess not the best work we could have done today. Now, the issue with him going back into traffic, that wasn't fully the team's fault. Okay. So part of the reason why he ended up in traffic and ended up where he didn't traffic was because Carlos Sainz had his pit stop just before that. And as you'll recall, Sainz was delayed getting out of that pit stop. Correct. Which then put him right in front of Seb, hence the traffic. Mm. The team could not have known that that was about to happen. Now, that said, to your point, Mattia Bonotto said that, no, it was Vettel's spin that hurt everything, not so much the strategy. Strategy wasn't the bad part. You drove the car poor. Well, yeah, I mean, if he's questioning why they had to take the hards off his, his car early, you have to question how much of that spin took tread off those tires. One, There's that, but the, there's the other question that I have, and and... It sounded like, and, and I probably should have looked it up beforehand, did Charles Leclerc want to run a one-stop strategy? I think he did. Which means he had to have started on the hearts because he ended on the mediums. If he did a one-stop strategy, he had to have started the race on the hard tires. Okay. Seb is upset because they put the hard tires on and then they had to pull them off. So either he wasn't looking after his tires or the spin took more out of those tires than he planned on. And he should have known (coughs) either one of those. Yeah. So you might fault Ferrari's strategy, but I think you got to look in the mirror a little bit there too, Mr. Seb. Yeah, you know, this is looking a lot like... Um, Fernando Alonso's last year at Ferrari. Oh, yeah. When he was done and he would blame the team for everything and anything. And, yeah, crap car on top of fed-up driver. It's never pretty. Yeah, and a fed-up driver's already got one foot out the door. 
in this case because he's being pushed. Well, yeah, I was going to say, he really doesn't have a foot out the door as much as the door is closing behind him. <laughs> so, um, the the ending run of this week's race with Lewis Hamilton and the charge with those tires, we kept looking at each other, seeing how bad Lewis's tires were and going, why are they keeping him out there? Why are they keeping him out here? Well, apparently, and this is the downside, and in a way, again, it... it kind of sucks that you ended up being Valtteri Bottas and you had you were leading and had the the strategy that pulled you in first because right. otherwise it would have been Lewis but they the team pulled Valtteri and they changed the tires because they saw the blistering they then went and looked at the condition of the tires and based on what they saw the condition of those tires they decided that yeah actually there's still more life in them and they left Lewis out there for longer that's why he was out there for that much longer ah yeah you know you gotta botas is a fabulous driver he's earned his spot at a top team and nothing will take that away from him but you gotta feel sorry for him sometimes because he is lewis's test balloon in some cases they're looking at his tires or his lap times to judge how to manage lewis's race and He's he is the ideal teammate to Lewis. He is an excellent supporting staff to Lewis. He is, and 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 he hates that. I'm sure he I does. Mean, last year, you recall the, the wingman comment that that ticked him off. But it it does feel like, in terms of the bad luck on that team, he catches more of his share of it. Yeah, more much more than his share. Um, so his comments this week after the race. Very frustrating, obviously. Starting from finish from pole and finishing third is not ideal. I think as a team, we were sleeping at some point when Max managed to get ahead of us, and my strategy was far, far from ideal, so lots to learn from today. There was a chance to keep up with Max, but as soon as I started to push towards the end, the tires just fell apart. It was a blistering in the tires today for us, and it seems like Red Bull had none, so they clearly had an edge over them. Um, and, and I think that's... The thing here is the Mercedes and how it handles those tires in the heat. I mean, previous years it was a cooling issue, Mm -hmm. but now it's how it handles these tires in the heat is obviously rougher on the tires than both the the Red Bull and looking at Charles Leclerc's race, the Ferraris too, when, you know, a driver isn't spinning and burning them up. Well, yeah. (laughs) A little sub-jab there. Well, you know, I had to. Um, now, the good news for Valtteri is that even though, yes, he ended up in third after starting pole, and it was it was a really good qualifying lap. And that tight, and for that, I mean, he deserved a win. It would have been nice if he had had it. But the good news for him is that he's got yet another year with Mercedes. Yay! So his seat is secure. Um, no Vettel, Hamilton. Oh, I was going to say, his seat is secure at least until... George Russell finishes third year at Williams. There's a lot of talk of George going to Mercedes. And I, I mean, I hope that they see something. I like George. I, I think George is, could be a good driver, but I've not seen anything spectacular. Like he's not impressing me as a max to pull he, him up he, so young. He, he's so not early. a Lando Norris. He's not a, he's not a Lando nor us with the S <laughs> on a different line. <laughs> 
By the way, for those of you who are following Fantasy GP, did you happen to notice how they listed Lando's name this week? Yes. <laughs> Which I did not see. I, I don't know if, I don't think he was running the helmet this week. I didn't notice his helmet, but I didn't, I don't think I saw it. We didn't see helmet. enough of him like we did last week. Because I think last week they were making a point of catching that helmet every single time. And if you don't know what we're talking about, it. His helmet last week, and, and if you watch the race, you know exactly what we're talking about. The helmet that was designed by a six-year-old fan, which honestly, when I, first, when I saw the picture the first time, before I even had a chance to read the caption, I saw the picture and I'm like, oh, this is just Lando screwing around again. Ha ha, really funny. And then I read the caption and it was designed by a six-year-old fan. That's why I was, I was like, all right, that's actually kind of cool. But at first I thought he was, it, this was just Lando screwing around. I got to tell you, when we start looking at 2021 for the team to have the most fun, like when we give senior superlatives to the teams next year, McLaren is going to be off the charts with having fun. They're going to have the Honey Badger and they're going to have Lando Norris. You know, on on one hand, they really look to be the most entertaining team in terms of a driver pairing. And we, we might need McLaren gear just for that reason. But on the other hand, I've, I've got to be a little concerned as to whether or not those two are going to focus enough to continue to develop and improve the team or if they're just going to be an absolute distraction to each other. And I don't know. I mean, it, it, I would assume that, that Daniel can pull it in. But that's what we don't know. Yeah. We, we only see them having the fun-loving jabbing at each other side i think that that will be interesting to see what that plays out with in reality and by the way i already own mclaren stuff yes but you own jensen button mclaren stuff duh (laughs) no actually if i'm gonna spend some money i i could go double down on some lando norris stuff that man is he's definitely got enough on the ball and enough personality to go i could get behind you yeah so we've gotten we still don't have the full details on the emilia romania grand prix but we have found out we knew it was a shortened weekend we knew Mm -hmm. that before um we've gotten a little more info as to what that weekend is going to look like the teams will get just one 90 minute practice session saturday morning ouch um, this does not sound like it's a particularly popular decision. Oh, I bet. And and what I can't figure out, and, and, and especially looking at this weekend. So the whole reason they're telling us that they did this is because it's 1,500 miles from uh, the race in Portugal all the way out to Imola. Okay. And because of that, they wanted to make sure that the teams were able to maximize time and, and, and get some downtime and, and in that that seven-day gap between the weekends or five-day gap between the weekends how far is it from silverstone to barcelona i would bet you it's probably close to 1500 miles if not more and they're doing a full three-day weekend in barcelona that that's where all of a sudden this idea just kind of fell apart well, I don't know how long, how far it is, but I will find out. Um, yeah, pull it up on maps and that's what I'm road about to... directions. Yeah, because, you know, there's 
an English channel between the two. There is, but but also keep in mind that in terms of the, it's not a freight issue because they can get the freight there. I mean, we talked about that, what, two shows ago? They've got multiple sets of freight that they could have, they can send ahead. So the freight can be there. It's just a matter of getting the people there. And in that case, you've got high-speed rail. You've got train. You don't need to drive them. Not true. So it, it shouldn't be that big a deal. But anyway, the teams are not particularly thrilled with this two-day event. Um, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if the way to do this is actually you look at, you do maybe a 90-minute practice session in the morning an hour-long practice session in the afternoon, you hold qualifying Sunday morning, and then you do the race Sunday afternoon. Well, that had been my original suggestion, was that you do you can run two free practices, quali in the morning, and Sunday quali in the morning, race in the afternoon. I mean, I, I know there's been a push to shorten the race weekends, and I still don't fully understand why. Other than the, well, you know, if you've got 21 races, let's try and... So they, this may be that thought of, what does it look like if we do a shortened weekend? The problem I have is, I don't think you should be doing that on a circuit that the teams have never been to. They don't have simulators for. Well, actually, not never. They haven't been to in an extremely long time. Most of the drivers on the grid, none of the drivers on the grid have driven a, for, a modern Formula One car there, with the exception of the the... Uh, Alpha Tari drivers, but everybody else they haven't brought on. So nobody's got a clear understanding of what the forces are, what the pressures are. It's it's not like they can go and fire up their their copy of F one twenty nineteen with a modern car and go run it around the track. By the way, it's under a thousand miles between Milton Keynes and Barcelona. Oh, okay. Just you know. Thought I'd give you a little okay. update on some geography. Okay. But apparently Barcelona is, while it's on the coast, it's more up that peninsula. Yeah, the, the, the track is more inland. It's it's yeah. not a coastal track. Um, But Portugal is all the way on the, that because Spain is a peninsula. Right. It's on the far edge of that peninsula. So mm-hmm. getting back over, you've got to cross all of Spain to get there. True. Well... You're, you're talking all of Spain, you're, you're talking France, and then you're talking into Italy and south, because that's central, it, central Italy. Correct. So you're talking, you know, the far eastern side of Spain, so you're you're just going down, you know, cross the channel, go through France, and you hit hit that spot. So it's, it's a less than a thousand miles. It's 16 hours to drive is what it said. Okay. So, last story is that work is actively underway, not just for trying to round out the 2020 calendar, but the 2021 calendar. Um, They're trying to do a a more regular schedule, but we don't know how many races it's going to be just yet. Um, Whether that's going to be a a retry of the 22-race calendar or if they're going to scale it back a bit. Well, and how hard is that to try to figure out what you're going to do next year when you don't know what, you know, when, if there's going to be a vaccine, what the world's going to look like, you know, 
you know, this is not the time to have to be planning for the future. <laughs> well, there's that. There's also, I mean, they're expecting that they're not going to be done with the pandemic yet. Right. So that can have an impact on travel restrictions. So th- that's going to be one of the questions that, that they're going to want to look at is, do they try to be as global as they have been in previous years and try and go to Russia and try and go to Australia and try and go to China and try and go to South America or do they do what they managed to pull off this year and be more Eurocentric and keep the the series mostly centered around the continent and around the UK and maybe branching off where they can into uh, Russia if conditions allow branching off into some of these other areas we don't know yeah and if they need to look at, and, and this is the other question of if they need to look at continuing to have events without fans can you do a Monaco in that situation and yeah. some of these street tracks that they rely on can you have a race in those environments a big question it really yeah. is and if you try to do something in monaco can you actually not have fans mm-hmm. i mean is that even physically any possible? street track any street track can can you actually do that without having fans right and i'm not sure you can um i don't know do we have anything else no that is our last story i mean i could mention we did there was an announcement that uh the Indianapolis 500, which I, I believe in two weeks, they were going to try and have fans. They have made the determination that that will be run without fans. Okay. But that's all I have. All righty. Well, on that, I think we should call it a show. And let's call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.